It is so good to call on the name of God. But um, how do we know that, like, God is someone we can call on? Like, how do we know that he has these authority, this authority? How do we know that, that he is someone that we can trust? And, like, how do we know him? <laughs> well, you know, this month we're, we're looking at this whole idea of the scripture being a window. And, um, you know, a window to not only, like, that, that it's not a window that we just look out, but actually it's a window that shines in to us. And, I mean, I, I love windows. Windows are pretty good. We have a lovely big window in our room that looks out over the garden and trees and green and colour in autumn. And, and um, I think one day, Glazier was there fixing another broken window. Um, and he said, oh, don't break that one. Because <laughs> it's old <laughs> and it will um, take a bit of fixing when it, when it, if it cracks. Um, you know, like when there's, there's all sorts of varieties of shapes and sizes and and colors and we can view out our window to busy streets we can see people there's happenings there's landscapes colors sunsets sunrises rainbows there's all sorts of things that we can view out our windows and and they give us such vision we can see actually beyond ourselves to something bigger like it's, it's outside of our own little environment, our own home, our own office, whatever it happens to be, bus. It, it kind of takes us beyond that little confine to something beyond. Much more magnificent maybe than where I might be right now. And I like to see that that's, that's a bit like scripture. <laughs> that when we take a hold of the whole of scripture, like all of it, every single part of it, that, that we actually see its fullness and we gain, we gain a much greater perspective on life. That we see something that's beyond us. And, um, you know, and as Jeff talked about last week, that then we also get a light that shines back into us and, and illuminates what's going on in our world and brings clarity and perspective to us. But what happens when the window gets cracked? got a, a cracked window behind us in a minute. I know, it's pretty bad. We, we have a story of a cracked window in our family, unfortunately. It's a story of a new car, like saved up for, looked for for ages, persuaded others that it's a good idea. <laughs> and then go and pick this car up and it's parked, you know, in Sydney somewhere next to a field, a park. And there's a cricket match going on. And watching this cricket match, having a barbecue, watching this amazing six and then finding out that that amazing six landed on the windscreen of the new car. Oh, windscreen, a cracked windscreen, it's not much good. Thankfully, this one was okay because it didn't go across the driver. But, you know, if it cuts across the driver's vision, like, it's no good. It's like this 
Like everything gets distorted when you get that crack. Some things get magnified and, and jump out at you and other things kind of retreat and you can see that they don't line up anymore and they don't, they don't make sense. And that can be a little bit like the Bible. If we, if we take things out of context of the whole of the scripture, if we, you know, mix up, don't kind of get the history of it, don't know where it fits in with history, it can have a similar effect of, of potentially like distorting the word of God and, and kind of mixing up the purpose and message of the Bible. Because when we just choose to believe only part of it, but not the whole, there's not actually a clear view anymore of what's going on. And um, why does it matter? <laughs> like, wh why does it matter that, 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 you know, that this might have bits in it and we take out bits and choose bits and not other bits? What, what is actually so special about this book? Like, it's just a, it's a printed book. It's just, you know, words on a page. Is it just that? Like, it's actually, it's actually a gift. Like, it's a gift to us. And it's a gift given by God for us to know him. It's, it's an act of loving kindness from our creator that he would actually reveal himself, that he would choose to actually kind of expose who he is in a personal and comprehensive way, like across, across time. You know, I know there's other faith writings that claim to have religious guidance, you know, directly from a divine source. I know they're out there. But they're not... They're not a story about a person. They're not personal. They don't encompass history and law and poetry and prophecy and letters. They're not uh, dynamic. And our God chooses to reveal himself through this, this method. That's a story of him. Now, it's not a unified story as a human author would write. It's, it's, not, it's not like a novel, okay? But rather, it comes together in a, like, across the whole of the scripture, it has what we'd say a, a cumulative a, a unity. Like, adding up all the bits together, it has unity. But just take a little bit, yeah, it's a bit weird disjointed. Across its whole, it's consistent and trustworthy. So, you know, you might be thinking, well, how do, how do I tell this? It does have a historical position. It was written at particular points in time across thousands of years. And we can think that that makes it not together. But it's been put together from a collection of manuscripts you know, found over time, discovered and compiled across a couple of thousand years. Manu the manuscripts date, you know, from the Middle Ages back to the, you know, second century or, you know, more. And 
it's made up like there's copies. It's been copied by scribes. They copied earlier manuscripts. They copied earlier manuscripts. And we start going, oh, yeah, that sounds a little bit sus. <laughs> you know, it's a historian's goal to check accuracy across manuscripts. Across the, you know, they'll take the, the current with the oldest found. And as our historians have done this over the years, what is amazing is how accurate our modern Bibles are. Like it blows your mind away how accurate they are. So in 1947, we've heard of these things called the Dead Sea Scrolls that were discovered. And in that, they found manuscripts that they dated back to about 68 AD. Now this is when Jerusalem fell. When all of that kind of history came to a point there and Jerusalem was just completely fell as a city. They reckon this is when these scrolls were hidden by a community that also among those scrolls had their own community laws and traditions. But in there, they found the entire, you know, as, um, representation of every single book in the Old Testament except Esther. That's not to throw at Esther, but it's just amazing that they found every single book represented. And as they took those scrolls and compared them to our modern texts, they were 95% accurate. That blows my mind away. The differences were spelling and grammar. <laughs> they didn't do their grammar lessons at school. <laughs> that spelling matters, okay? <laughs> Doesn't that just astound you? That God cares about this word so much that he would care about its um, copies over time its translations, like it matters to him so much. It's so precious. There is more proof of this book's accuracy than Plato. No one doubts Plato's writings and there's only seven copies. We have thousands of manuscripts for the Bible, yet we doubt it sometimes. So this book, 66 books, 40 plus human authors, inspired by God. 1,600 years plus to write, multiple countries, multiple cultures, three languages. An incredible potential for discontinuity. But we see an incredible cohesion. I have an image on the screen. I think it's just a beautiful image. What we see here, someone has taken the time to list all the books of the Bible and all the verses and where they cross-reference each other across the whole of the Bible. Doesn't that blow your mind away? It's not just Isaiah, you know. <laughs> it's not just Isaiah that talks about Jesus. Across the whole of the Bible, 
it's going back and forth and back and forth, talking to it, reminding us, this is where I fit in. This is how I fit together. Apparently, there's 63,000 cross-references at least. Like, that's a lot. That is a very comprehensive, continuous book that is completely unified in its story. And its purpose? It's actually to speak across cultures. It's to speak across generations, to reveal our God, a God who longs to be known to us, a God who longs to just kind of reach out and go, here I am. Jeremiah 31 shares this heart of God to be known because he doesn't want to be a silent God. He's not just up there, just set in place and forget, but actually he's a God that wants to be known by us and he desires, verse 34, that they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord that all people no matter who we are across whatever generation culture age that he wants all of us to know him and we know that at creation God was known by people there was an unhindered walking you know, form of God walking in the garden with his people in Genesis 3 verse 8. said, they heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. They walked with him. He was, it was unhindered. There was relationship. And they walked in the garden But then we see that there was this break in relationship instigated by their disobedience. So God continued to reveal himself in another way. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. He gave promises to Abraham and and laws to Moses and words and revelations through the prophets. Like all different ways that he could go, this is who I am. This is my heart. This is who I love. This is what I, you know, this is what I don't like. And it's part of, it's God's initiative for us to know him and to have relationship with him. And then in Jeremiah 31, it looks forward to a day where of God's revelation about himself will continue, but in a different form, in a new covenant. This is the, the one that was enacted at the incarnation of Jesus when his son came to be the living representation, walking on earth representation of who God is, not just in his word, written, but actually in actual form. God's son becoming man on earth. And so in that place, he restored relationship and gave us an opportunity to continually get to know him. But not now just through laws and 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 words like that, but, but in a personal re- interaction with the Holy Spirit. So through this, combined with the Holy Spirit, that we would know God. And I get so excited about that. Like This is the book that I could read over and over. I have a couple of books I've read a couple of times. 
but nothing that I keep going back to, nothing that keeps bring, coming alive and showing me things that I've not seen before. But sometimes it's really easy to fall into the trap of just seeing it as a book of, you know, life's hacks, like how to do life today. It pops up on my phone. Here's a great verse. And that's it. And it's, you know, we just take out a little bit to try and get some encouragement for ourselves. Yes, it does have great advice, but that's not its purpose. It's not its purpose just to give us advice for the day. In um, my research for this, I came across a book that I read, and it was called Seven Things I Wish Christians Knew About the Bible. <laughs> Only seven? No. <laughs> it's, it's a really cool book, and uh, there's a QR code out. If you would like to go and read it, it's, it's awesome. It just lays down some really cool things about this book that really unpack it and help us to understand it. And the author, Michael Bird, he's an Australian, and, and he said, even though the Bible is for us, like this book is for us, it was not actually written to us. And it's not written about us. It's written for us to know God. And then, in knowing him, Our hearts can love him and be transformed to be like him and then love beyond him. So we don't just stop at loving God, but then we go beyond him to other people. It's got a, a purpose to not just be amazed at God, but then take on his heart and be his outworking in our world. There's no other book like this. It's not just a historical book. So we need to take it in its entirety. We don't have the luxury of just choosing bits and pieces, of grabbing the ones that suit me. <laughs> Jeff in um, Life Group the other day, what were you reading? What was the book you'd been reading? You mentioned something and you said, oh, but don't read the last couple of verses. I was like, no. <laughs> you have to read the whole lot. <laughs> you can't just knock off the last few verses because they're not very nice. It's like Psalm 139. I love that Psalm, but oh, the last couple of verses, no. You have to read the whole thing. Otherwise, we're just starting to um, pick and choose the bits we like and distorting our window. That cross-reference image just, you know, it reminds us just how completely the word is intertwined. It gives voice to all the books and all, the, and all these verses across the span of authors. It demonstrates a consistency of purpose and message so that we can deepen our faith and love for God and trust him and others and, and then gain a hope for the future because we see that it's going somewhere. But its message is not about me. And it's not even for me. Ooh, sorry. <laughs> Doesn't sound very nice. It does sound a bit harsh, but, but just, just hold on there. Because the message is about Jesus. It's about him. That he's the centre. 
that he has power, that he's the authority and about his sacrifice. This message, this book is about Jesus. It's for us to know God. And Jesus is the, the walking version of him. <laughs> this book is about Jesus, about knowing God. And there's not one Bible that's for me and another Bible that's for you. It's one Bible. They're not different across all of us. And so I can't kind of go, oh, well, your Bible says that and mine says this. No, no, no. The Bible says I am God. This is who I am. So even though it's not written personally to me, God didn't write Dear Rowena on the front. Through it, I can personally know God. And I can personally be transformed by him. Because it's an active word. It's a, it's a book that's alive and speaking who God is. In 1 Peter 1 verse 23, it says, Since you have been born again, that means when we get to know Jesus... And our lives are transformed by his sacrifice of forgiveness, forgiving us and bringing new life into us. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. It's living. It's abiding in us. Hebrews 4 says, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than two, any two-edged sword piercing the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. It cuts through things that nothing else can cut through. So that when we allow it to penetrate, when we allow it to get in and mess us up, when we allow it to touch our everyday life and, and we can like wrestle with the hard bits and the bits I don't like, and the bits that go against our culture today, and the bits that just sound weird. Some of them I might just stick on the shelf till I can find the other bit that matches with. You know, like when you do a puzzle, and you go, I don't know where this bit fits. It just makes no sense. So I'll just put it to the side. I'm not going to throw it out. Then I won't be able to finish the puzzle. <laughs> I'll just stick it to the side, and I'll wait till I know where it fits. I'll wait till it till I know where it completes the picture. And the power of this book can be experienced when we immerse ourselves into this puzzle of God. When he reveals, because then we get the, the little bit by bit that he reveals himself. And the wonderful thing that as God is revealed through this window of scripture. His light then shines back onto us. And it's a revealing light. It starts exposing us. Like we discover who we are. We discover what our, you know, preferences are. What our worldview might be. What we want and what we don't want. We discover also in my own life, what I need to reject and what I probably need to accept. It illuminates as well 
our incredible differences, that we're not all the same, that we're different. We've come from different places. We're different ages and cultures and, and all sorts of things and, and we just don't want to be the same because <laughs> that's jolly boring. Because <laughs> God doesn't, he doesn't expect a bland monoculture if you become a Christian, right? Huh? That's not what he wants. He doesn't want this, this bland culture. He created us to display his creativity and his diversity and uniqueness. That's who's going to be representative in the kingdom of God. Revelation 7 shows us, he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, all tribes, people, languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. We were all there. And it was incredible. In this vision, that's what we see in the kingdom of God. And so I get excited. <laughs> Maybe, Laurie, you want to pop up? I get excited about this book. And I found that, that, you know, sometimes I have periods where, you know, I, I can go really deep. And other times where it's just this a routine that I tick back to. But it's, it's just consistent and it's soaking and it's, somewhere I read they said, it's like marinate in the word. <laughs> like let it get through all of you. But I just, you know, how do you see this book? Like how do you view it? Is it just a book to you? Is it a historical, interesting historical account? Dubious relevance today? Dubious accuracy? Like, be real. Like, sometimes we do think those things because we read something and we go, oh, surely God can't be like that. Surely he didn't mean that to happen. Or is it really? Is it an invitation to know God, a gift from our Creator. Because it actually matters. It matters as we explore this book. It actually matters, do I believe it's the Word of God or not? And, you know, I said before, we don't have the luxury to, to choose bits of it that we like and leave other parts it's normal to have doubts. That's okay. But if we just leave it at a doubt and then continue to doubt, that's not good. Like, don't leave doubts unanswered. So I'm actually going to set some homework this week. <laughs> Settle your doubts. Have a look. You know, there's a book out there you can read that that sets out some things. There's. There's an incredible Alpha video that talks about the Bible and goes through different things. That'll be on in the newsletter this week, a link for that. Take time to read, to listen to something, you know, to watch, you know, trusted resources. There's a lot of rubbish out there, okay? And there'll be, you know, other images that will completely show you how, how different the Bible is.
So in the end, can't just be down to our head. We actually then have to choose. It's a choice of faith. We have to dare to believe it. Dare to believe that God is the same yesterday. We sang it. Same yesterday, today and tomorrow. You were, you are, you will be forever. It's the same God. And that He chose to reveal Himself in this book. And that as we immerse into every single part of it, and we bit by bit, you know, the smudges on the window, they can get cleared away. The light can shine through the window really clear. We can have clarity what we're looking to, what we're looking out for. There may be some cracks I might need to fix. Stick bits back that I've left off. Keep reading the end of Psalm 139, even if I don't like it. Because as we do that, we can we can bring the whole word together. And Timothy reminds us all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's all of it, all of it together goes to just, just molding us and shaping us, sorting us out. It's not saying, you know, every single word in there is an instruction for you to do. It's like bring the whole word into your life. Immerse yourself in it. And through that space, God will bit by bit transform you, grow you, align things up with Him. So I just want to finish in prayer. Because we just... Over this, this month, over this year, just help, help us as a church to keep, keep going here. Keep learning to believe it. Keep learning to trust it. Keep knowing that it is the good and perfect Word of God. As Psalm 18 reminds us, this God, His way is perfect. The Word of the Lord does prove true. And he is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Lord God, we just come to you this morning. And as we just sit here, and we may have doubts or struggles and bits we don't like in your word. Lord, we just, we just lay that out before you. You know our weaknesses. You know our confusions. Lord, help us to dig deeper, to, to learn how to trust you, to believe that you just so wanted to reveal yourself to us. And you've gone to incredible lengths to make that happen. And incredible lengths to make that continuous today. That even though this seems so disconnected to who we are today, 
God still speaks to us today and reveals who you are. Well, God, help us to lift up our eyes to you. Let you teach us, guide us, speak to us. And help us to know you and who you are. In Jesus' name.